this is Josh, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. Moms, I know you may have uh, already heard this a couple times today, hopefully you have, but let me just say again, Happy Mother's Day. And as I was uh, getting ready for this week's sermon, I came across a story written by a woman named Nancy Ortberg. She is the wife of a pastor I like very much named John Ortberg, and I liked her story so much that, in fact, I want to share it with you. Uh, It's about what her experience was as a young mom, and I think... All of you, whether you're a new mom or you are a grandmom, you can relate to this story because she talks about how her motherhood brought out the best and the worst of her. And when she says the best, she's talking about the Jekyll character in the famous book Jekyll and Hyde and the worst, the Hyde character. And so she writes, when I became a mother, I found a Jekyll inside of me. For the first time, there was a person in my life whom I loved more than I loved myself. I was doing unselfish things because I wanted to. I became patient and kind, calm, reasonable, generous, thoughtful, and loving. I thought, this is a good thing. This person who is emerging, I love being a mom. But there was another person inside that came out sometimes, a person that I didn't know, a person about whom I said, who is she? Can I make her go away? At one time in my life, I had a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and an infant. And I woke up to the fussy baby, and he clung to me like a baby monkey hangs on its mother and would not let it be put down. While Johnny was clinging to me, my toddler was unwinding all the toilet paper, making designs in every room of the house, and she took all the books off the shelves and began tearing pages out of them. While this was going on, my three-year-old was begging me to play Candyland. I hate Candyland. There was a mound of dirty laundry threatening to suffocate me. There was no food in the house. I had to go to the grocery store. At the grocery store, I had a baby clinging to me, a toddler in the grocery cart, and another one running up and down the aisles. The grocery cart was so full, I had to kick the pad of diapers down the aisle. In the toilet paper section, I fought to hold back tears as I thought of my life and said, what am I doing? Look at me. Back at home, I unloaded the groceries, fixing lunch while the ice cream melted. Then I took the kids to the park before rest time. A park with three children is no fun. I kept counting. One, two, three. I came with three. I must leave with three. By the time I got home, I hated myself. I hated my children. I put them in their rooms and shut the door. Of course, none of them slept. I went to the garage and cried. I thought I was going to lose my mind. I felt like I was becoming an impatient, frazzled, rude, angry, frustrated mom. And I was splitting in, she writes, to, into two different people. Not all moms are like that. I know moms who are patient and kind toward their children almost all the time. I admire them. I don't like them, but I admire them. That's not me. But just when you think that God, when you've got God all figured out, he goes outside the lines and he meets you in a hundred different ways. He does something amazing by telling you that he loves 
even the hide creature living inside of you. God is interested in redeeming that creature and changing it. And if you're honest, you can say that hide lives in you as well. But there's good news, of course, and that is Jekyll is there. And I celebrate that person who is like God. Here's the beauty of this story for me, not only besides the humor of it. It doesn't matter whether you're a mom or not, because we've all had somewhat similar experiences of that. Those days that we feel like we're Jekyll, where things are good, where we are in touch with God, and then the next minute we become Hide, And we wonder, what happened to us? When did we lose our religion? Where did God go in the midst of this? Now, I think moms are acutely aware, because of their experience with children, of what First Peter makes clear today when he writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have. I love that moms give that gift to us by making us into a family. But I want to just for a second broaden the lens, step back if I could. As we, yes, celebrate moms, but also talk about what God does in and through families. Because it's in our families that we first learn to become people become human we learn our tribe it's in our families that we discover that there's a larger group of people that we're a part of that is God's family and we learn how to push back against what the world is always pushing on us you see this the world is always telling us that you and I we are primary individuals so someone asks how am I doing Or where am I going? And instead of reflecting on the condition of my family or on the body of Christ that he surrounded me with, I think about my health or my mood or my to-do list. I think of my schedule or achievement, my spiritual life, my ambition, my needs. I think about me primarily when someone asks those questions. I make it individualistic. But we can think broader than that. We can think about maybe our nuclear family or even... God's family that he's put us in. And when we think like that, we find, or when we meet somebody who thinks like that, we find ourselves shocked because they are giving credit to what God is doing around them. Which is why when we meet these people who are less individualistic and more part of the whole, we give special credit. We take note of them. And so as I think about families today, the first thing I want to say is that great families are are units, whether they're your individual family or they're God's family, the great families are units that are together. Several years ago, Jesse Jackson was visiting the University of Southern Mississippi. And while he was touring the campus with the university president, he saw a very large male student, six feet, eight inches tall, holding hands with a co-ed who was just barely three feet tall. So Jackson obviously stopped and watched this couple who was very far apart in height. And as he was watching them, she very, he, the man very tenderly reached down, picked up the co-ed, kissed her on the cheek, and sent her on to class. And the president explained, uh, explained to Jackson that this was their star basketball player and that his parents had died in his youth. And he made a vow to look after his little sister. And lots of scholarship offers had come his way, 
but Southern Mississippi was the only one that offered his sister a scholarship as well. So Jackson wanted to commend the basketball player. So he goes over to him and he says that he admires him for looking out for his sister. And the athlete just kind of shrugged and said, those of us who God makes 6'8 need to look out for those who he has made 3'3. That's a kid who gets that he's a part of something greater. That to be a part of a family means to make someone else's issues yours. So how do you teach this? How do you model this in a family? Well, lots of different ways, actually. Do you make your spending decisions based on what's best for the whole of your family? Do you set your personal schedule by what benefits the folks in your family? Do you celebrate the sacrifices that someone makes on behalf of the family? Do you note the bad choices that get made from time to time? Not so much for the individual bad choices, but how they affect the whole family. You see, seeing this way, thinking about your family as a unit, and not just your nuclear family, but the the body of Christ here at Grace, helps equip us to begin to think that everybody needs to have a vision for what we're a part of. And that is something greater than ourselves. Our workplaces, our community, even our society can be changed when we think about ourselves as a unit. Jesus said this in our gospel today. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And as he's telling his disciples this, when he's done, they, they, they say, wait, we don't know where you're going. What are you talking about? And he says, if you know me, you know my Father also. You have seen him and you know him. That is this bigger family that God has put us in. When you look around right now, that is the family that we are a part of because of John 14. Now, I do think it takes a bit of a leap in our thinking to think that one of the most strategic, one of the most important things we can do in our society with things like the war on terror or the struggle with racial reconciliation or the renewal of our global world in its environment is to actually teach our families to think as wholes. But when we do that, our community and our world actually moves forward. So the first thing that I think our scriptures teach us today is that great families are units. The second thing I want to tease out a little bit here today is that great families also value individual gifts. Now, as you, I'm sure, already know, our society is made up of all kinds of different families. And rather than talk about those different family types, let me tell you what I've noticed about all the great ones. The great families all value individual gifts. I see that in my own family. My wife, Marissa, is gifted in many ways. But one of the things that I am constantly in awe of is how good she is at creating beauty. She takes a couple of objects that I think are boring or ordinary or even trash, and she turns them into something beautiful that other people stop and look at. She's an AP teacher at Forest, but because of her love of beauty, she affects the lives of those around her. My daughter, Eliana has the gift of loving things passionately. 
It is very often in her life the best day or the worst day of her life. Often it's the best or worst day of her life. But her passion energizes people and it causes them to want to join in and get involved in whatever she's doing. My daughter Aaliyah knows perseverance and she sticks with people or projects and sees them to the end so that whatever she's part of is going to be something great. My son Micah has the gift of compassion. He deeply cares about the world that we live in and God's people on it. And he actually believes that we need to care for it in such a way that we can feed all of the people on it. I think it's a crazy vision, but I love it. And my youngest, Addie, is the natural life of a party. Any event that you have that's going poorly, invite Addie to, and boom, it'll be awesome. And, of course, my adopted daughters, Liza and Morgan. Liza has never met a stranger, and Morgan always seems to know our needs before we even know them. My point is this. Families have gifts, individual gifts, that need to be celebrated and recognized. It's those gifts that, in fact, make families great. Moms know it. Dads know it. God knows it how we are enabled, as our gospel says, to do every great work and even greater works than the ones that Jesus saw in his day. Great families recognize that they bring great gifts to God's world. Now, God made us a unit. He's given us these great individual gifts, but sometimes we break down our families. We hurt our families either by ourselves or by the way in which we live together. And it saddens me to say, but it's true, it's been my experience that as much as families can support one another, they also bring each other great pain. That pain usually comes from not understanding or attempting to understand how God has actually made us. Now, one of the first ways I've seen families bring pain to each other is that uh, a family member doesn't recognize his or her own gifts. They may see the gifts in other people, but they don't believe that they are gifted. And because they don't see what God has put inside them, they feel less. They feel broken. They feel wronged. They get jealous. Of course, none of that is true. Because God has put gifts in all of us, but it doesn't matter because feelings, well, they aren't right or wrong. They just bring pain. Sometimes I also see families in pain because the family doesn't recognize the importance of someone's gift in that family. What happens in our society is, whether we like it or not, some gifts are more valued than others by society, not by God. And so a gift like public speaking gets more publicity, if you will, than the gift of mercy does. And sometimes that even happens in a family. Even a family like Grace when we don't see what God sees. But the truth is, there is no family I've ever met that when they lose a member of that family, there isn't some sudden, immediate sense of, we just lost some very important gifts to our community, to our family. So why do we wait to recognize those gifts? Why do we wait and not tell those folks with those gifts how much we appreciate them? I don't know. But we don't do a good job there. Finally, families break down and cause each other pain because we don't encourage everyone to use their gifts. But if we're going to live out a life filled with gratitude, 
Isn't there no better way to encourage everybody in the family to use all that they've got, to use it to the full extent? So what about your family? What about the family of God here at Grace? Do you look around and see not a collection of individuals, but instead people who have received God's mercy? I hope so. Do you know your own gifts? You need to. Do you celebrate your gifts and the gifts that he's given the people around you, in your family and in this family? What would it take for that to happen? Well, only you will know for sure. But I know what the result will be if we begin to do that. We begin to have a changed family, a changed community, and a changed world. It would be something amazing and absolutely incredible. And it's, in fact, the world I want to live in. I believe the world that God has given us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us these gifts to put inside of us that do awesome, incredible things. And I pray, Father, that we would cherish them in ourselves and in one another. I pray for uh, all the families here at Grace today that you would continue to bless them, guide them, direct them towards you. And as you do that, God, strengthen our family that it might be whole, that we might honor your name and be a part of change in this community. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you've been a part of our conversation today. Our prayer is that you will take what you've heard and bring it to the Lord with the question, what would you have me do? To find out more about all the good things that are happening on our campus and how you can get involved, feel free to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and then our website, graceocala.org. Go in peace.